Thanks again, praise team, for reminding us of how great our God is. And God is great. In spite of the weather. By the way, if you were visiting us from out of state, welcome to Michigan. This is it, right? Friday we had 70 degrees and, and Saturday we had a snowstorm. And uh, it's just the way it is. I do remember one time when I was up in uh, Canada on a canoe trip in, in Algonquin Provincial uh, Park where uh, my brother and I, we were cliff jumping in the park. It was just a beautiful day. And no sooner did we get back into our canoes and start working our way towards where we were staying for the night when a wind came in and it started to get colder and colder. We saw clouds come in. It started to rain. That rain turned into freezing rain. And so we had to set up our campfires and and set up our tents in freezing rain. And then it turned to snow. (laughs) And uh, I I just could not believe how just a few hours earlier we were swimming. And uh, but that's just the that's the nature of living in the north. But we have four seasons, right? So, hey, we, we have a lot to be thankful for, and God is great regardless of the weather. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, we would be reminded of your greatness. And Lord, may, may it even help us to see how small we are in comparison to you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking at uh, the heroes of the faith and, uh, and so today, we're actually going to look at the patriarchs. We're going to look at, at more than one. And so let's read together in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22 uh, together. And this is what we read. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, when we look at this, we look at these three verses together and we see it's a little break in the pattern of what we have read up to this point in, in, the, in the story. Because so far, with each hero of the faith mentioned by the writer of Hebrews, there's like a little story about each one, right? And, and there's a lot of detail. And then all of a sudden, he comes to the patriarchs and he, he just like rapid fires them. Right, and and we have very little information because he's putting them all together, and and uh, and, and he, he's showing just a little statement about each one, and we see how they all kind of flow flow together, and uh, and so this is the first rapid fire we see. Now to understand the context, making sure that we, we get what's going on, Abraham is the first of the patriarchs, right? He is the one that we consider the the father of the of all of in fact we sing songs as kids father abraham had many sons remember that song some of you you're giving me blank stares right so yes this okay very good for a minute i thought we were doing that mannequin challenge or something that's so popular right now and uh, and so yeah so father uh, you know abraham so he's the, he's the the first patriarch and god made a promise to him of of descendants. In fact, the promise to Abraham involved three three things really: the fruitfulness, the the blessing. It, it involved a promise of m- multiple descendants that God would multiply his descendants greatly, and this idea of land that God would give him this promised land. and And God gave that promise to Abraham, and then he struggled at first to get the descendants thing going, right? Because he was old, his wife was old, and she had been barren to begin with. But you know the story. And God promised him and gave him Isaac. He also gave him Ishmael uh, as well, but that was when he tried to do things on his own. And Isaac also had uh, children. And you remember what the children's names are? 
Jacob and Esau. Very good. So uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob became the, the one that he passed that promise on to and, uh, uh, as well, even though he was the younger of those twins. And then uh, we see, we're going to see the, other, the, the last patriarch today as well, Joseph, uh, being the son of Jacob, and of, as well as he had all of the other brothers as well. And so just to give us a little bit of the genealogical context of what's going on here, these are the patriarchs, all the ones that you see on, uh, on your left side of the screen, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These are the patriarchs. And that's why we find Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph mentioned together, so closely related in uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. So what we're going to do today is look at them a little bit individually at what, uh, what the writer of Hebrews said. So let's begin by looking at Isaac. So let's read again verse 20. So by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Very small statement, doesn't go into a lot of detail. The writer of Hebrews, remember, is writing to Jews, right? Writing to people who had a, a, a rich heritage. And so there are things that they all knew. They, and so we're going to go back to look at some of what they grew up hearing, the stories they, they knew well. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 28. Keep a finger in Hebrews because we'll come back and look at each of these verses. But, uh, but we'll go back to the original story in Genesis 28, verses 1 through 4. And this is what we read. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and give you blessing of Abraham, or the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. You see, so far we've we've seen uh, the, in the story we've we've seen how God gave the promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and it was passed down to Isaac. And now we're seeing that exact same covenant being passed down from Isaac to Jacob. And you'll notice, too, that all of the elements of the covenant are there. Are they not? When you think of this, this idea of, of fruitfulness and, and blessing, and, uh, we find that. In fact, if we go back, I'll go back to verse 3. May, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful. And so we see that part of the Abrahamic covenant intact. Uh, we see in the second half of the verse the, the, the concept of the multiplication of descendants. It says, may God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. And, but also the concept of land. So we have blessing, descendants, and land were a part of the Abrahamic covenant. We see the, the concept of land in verse 4. And God gave you blessing of Abraham uh, to you and your descendants after you, that you may what? Inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And so, so by faith, what we find here is that Isaac, by faith, saw that God's promises being fulfilled, even if that meant going beyond his own lifetime. I mean, picture this for a moment here. Now, you've got, you've got Isaac, who has received the promise from his, uh, from his father, who received the promise from his heavenly father. And he's saying, there, here's a promise, and now as I'm getting old and I'm getting into, into the, to the, the end of my life, I'm still believing in a promise that was made long ago 
Um, and and it's been, I've seen God begin to fulfill his promise, but he's not done. It goes way beyond my lifetime, and now he's passing it on to his own son. Do you, do you see that? You get the picture of, of, of what's going on, and we see the faith that Isaac had because he was, had his faith in something that went way beyond his own lifetime. Let's go back uh, to, to Hebrews 11. And, and uh, now we, we see that Isaac passed this on to Jacob. Well, let's look at what the, what the Bible says about Jacob. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, we read, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. And there are a couple things in this verse that could be confusing and has caused some confusion. Uh, just reading some of the commentaries, you see some of the confusion that comes out of this. First of all, what does it mean leaning on top of his staff? It's not a phraseology that we find in, in any other part of Scripture. The idea is is very simple one. It's just a, a way of saying very old. It means in the last days of, of a person's life. As as you can see, when a person is, is older, sometimes they have to lean on top of their staff. You get the, the imagery? So now we're, we're talking about Jacob when he was older, when he was old enough to have to lean on top of his staff. I felt old just a few weeks ago when, when I threw my back out and I felt like I had to lean on the podium sometimes, right? And, and it's just, as you get older, you, your, your, your strength is gone. And, and here, Isaac, or I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob, in his last days, he was, he was old enough to lean on top of his staff. And then it says that by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. A lot of times when we think of the word blessing and we think of the word Jacob, our minds automatically, if you study the scriptures, go to Genesis chapter 50 because they're the, pretty much the entire chapter is dedicated to Jacob, whom God had named Israel. Remember that. So whenever you read Israel in the story or Jacob, it's the same person. Jacob went through all of, the, all of the sons of Israel, all of his own sons, and gave them a blessing. Do you remember that? It's a whole chapter, just a blessing for each of Most of them we would call blessings. Uh, with Simeon and Levi, he said, may the Lord keep them separate because they fight too much. Right? But, but for the most of them, it's a blessing. And we see this in chapter 50. And so the commentators imagine, immediately run to, to Genesis chapter 50. But let's look carefully at what it says in verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed whom? Whom? Whom did he bless? He blessed each of the sons of Joseph. What we find in Genesis 50 is the blessing to Joseph as one of his sons. To find the blessing to the sons of Joseph, we actually have to go back two chapters earlier. So, so go with me to Genesis um, chapter 48. Genesis chapter uh, 48, verses 14 through 21. Then Israel, now who is Israel? That's Jacob. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he, he's with his grandchildren. There's Joseph, his son. Now he's with his grandchildren. And he reaches out his right hand, which, by the way, when it's a sign of the blessing, who gets the greater blessing, the person on the right hand or the person on the left hand? person on the right hand. So, so he reaches out his, his right hand, and he, uh, and he starts to bless the younger one first, and, 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 and makes this what, look, what might look, culturally speaking, like a mistake, right? But it says here that he did so knowingly. So he puts his right hand on the younger and his left hand um, on the, the older. 
And so he starts to bless the younger. This, this by the way, is countercultural. In the culture, the, the main blessing would go to the firstborn, right? They're the, they're the ones that would receive the blessing. Now, you might remember a little story about when Jacob receives a blessing. Because Jacob had a brother named Esau. Who was older? Esau. Who received the blessing? Jacob. How did he get it? Through deception, right? So he, you know, so he's very aware of this, culturally speaking. And the Bible's very clear that he knew what he was doing uh, in the moment when he did it. I think it's, 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 it, there, Jacob does not mind, you know, slapping the culture in the face a little bit there, right? Because he was the younger, he received the blessing. In fact, um, Benjamin means the son of my right hand. It was a name given to many firstborns in the culture. But yet, Jacob named his youngest son. Benjamin, son of my right hand, right? So we get this idea that, that it's not the birth order that matters. And, uh, and so that's what we find in verse 14. Verse 15 and 16, we read this. And he said, uh, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he blesses Joseph by blessing his children, and he, and he passes along what? He passes along the same Abrahamic covenant that had been passed down to him. And now he's saying, may they carry my name. What's the name is that? Israel. May they be called Israelites to this day. And you know what? To this day, they are called Israelites. Are they not? To this, this day. And so he, uh, he calls them that. And, he, and, he, and again, we see this, this concept of God taking the Abrahamic covenant and passing it down from one generation to the next. What we find here is, a, is fascinating. We find uh, a, a, a man who, once again, looks back to the past and sees the faithfulness of God in his past and says, the same God who's faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful to you and, and to the future. We begin to see this intergenerational concept of God and his plan in the life of Jacob. It's interesting, I find that, if we continue to read um, in verse, uh, verse 17 and 18, now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And so he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Right. Uh, verse 18, And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Right. You get the picture? Like, Dad, you're getting kind of old. You, you're, you're confusing the two, right? And so he, he actually puts his hand out there to switch the hands. You're, you're doing this wrong. Uh, you're doing this wrong, Dad. And then this is the response. Verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. When dads repeat themselves, right, you know. <laughs> said, I know, I know. He also shall become a people. What is he talking about? Manasseh, the older. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall be, become a multitude of nations. This was a, a prophetic insight that God had given to Jacob. The ability to understand the, the, what was going to happen. And he's saying, God is going to continue to bless Manasseh, and Manasseh will be great, but Ephraim is going to be incredible. 
Ephraim is going to go. Now, we, know, we have 2020, right? Because this is history to us. But to understand that he saw this before it ever happened, that is, that's an amazing, that's an insight that only comes from God. And then we find in verse 20 that he blesses them both. He says, so he blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And we see this blessing. God gave him insight into a storyline that started long before his life and would continue long after he died. We're beginning to, to zoom out our understanding of God a little bit and to see this God who, who, who works within generations and, and, and beyond our own generations. And then we find the, another interesting prophetic insight that God gave to Jacob in the very next verse. Verse 21, we read this. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. So God is going to bring you back to the land of your fathers. Now, where is, where was he at this time? Right? In, in Egypt, right? You know, you know the story. He was, he was in Egypt, and he's saying, uh, Joseph, you are a part of a narrative that is much bigger than you. You are, are part of a story that, that began long before you were born and will go long after your death. And, and that narrative, it, it's going to bring you, yes, it takes you out of the promised land, but it is going to bring you back. You see, at to that point, did they have blessing? Yes. Did they have the descendants? Yeah, they were starting to. And from that point, they really start to multiply. But they, the, the, but they were going to be taken out of the land. And you say, wait a minute, if they're taken out of the promised land, how is God going to prove himself faithful? And have you ever been in a point in your life where you felt like, wait a minute, I don't see how God can be faithful to all of his promises because of what has just happened in my life. Have you ever been there? And, and yet he's saying, God is faithful. And trust me, Joseph, you will be brought back to the land of your fathers. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. God's story will always unfold in such a way that everything he said that will happen will happen. Every promise he ever makes will happen. Now, with this promise in mind, keep this in the, at the, at the, on the front burner for a moment. Um, this would be a good place to transition then into the next verse. Because as we look through, we see, we've seen what he said about, the Bible says about Isaac. We've seen what it says about Jacob. Let's look at what it said about Joseph in uh, the very next verse. So Hebrews 11, verse 22, we read this. My clicker will work. There we go. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, to the person who's not familiar with the story, that doesn't say a whole lot. But, that, but when we go back and we understand the story, there is a lot of meaning in this simple verse. Uh, but we see, by faith, he did two things here. By faith, he made mention of, his, of the departure of the children of Israel. And number two, he gave instructions concerning his bones. Let's see what this is all talking about. So this goes back to the prophetic word of Jacob that we had just read about in, ch in chapter 48. How Joseph's remains would, would go to rest with his fathers. Or as it says in, 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 in chapter 48, verse 28, God will bring you to the land of your fathers. By the way, when it says, when it says God will bring you back, what does that imply? It implies that you're going to leave, 
right? You don't, you don't tell your children, come back safely, right, if they're not leaving, right? Um, you tell them, to, hey, come back safely when, they're come, when you know they're leaving and they're coming back, right? So the, you have to, to understand that there's this concept of leaving. So he knew that there would be some type of departure for the children of Israel, and he knew that God would bring him back. And you know what? Joseph believed in all of that. Uh, in fact, this is evidenced by his last words. As it says here, by, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying. So let's take a look at Joseph's life when he was dying and, and look at his last words. So to do that, we go to the end of, of Genesis chapter 50 or towards, uh, towards the end. And, and this is what we read. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But, listen to what he says and see how this completes what, and fulfills what Hebrews says. But... God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Well, when you, you look at that, you say, by faith he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and, and gave instruction regarding his bones. So he, he's letting them know. In, in spite of the fact that, that this narrative, the way it has unfolded, you have had to leave, because you might remember the story, there was a famine, they had to leave, and God put them into a position where, where they had to beg for, from their younger brother, Joseph, whom they had sold as a slave, they had to beg for their lives from him, because God used Joseph to save the entire known world from this great famine, a seven-year famine. And, uh, and so we... Uh, we, we see them at this point, and, and he's reminding them, you know what? This is not the end of the story. And how did he have faith that this was not the end of the story for them? Because he had faith that the same God who kept the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob is going to be the same God who keeps the promises made to Joseph. Does that make sense? And so he was able to pass on to them. And by faith, he was able to say, yes, this is just a trip. This is just, this is just a, 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 a slight deviation off course because I guarantee you, you will be back into the promised land eventually. The, what land? The land that God swore to whom? To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. We have a God who is intergenerational in his plans, and, and he's reminding them of that in verse 24. He goes on to say, then in verse 25 and 26, we read this. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I mean, when you think about it from a human perspective, and, and you think of it from Joseph's perspective, maybe God had been faithful in, in times past, but here, he was going to die at where? He was going to die in Egypt. He's a long way from, from Shechem, where he grew up, right? He's a long way from the land of his fathers, and, and here he is dying in, in, in Egypt, and his bones, he knew the, the, the mummification process. Uh, the, you know, that's what the word there that's uh, translated embalmed is talking about. And, and the, the, because he was second in command in Egypt. And in fact, he had done this for his father Jacob as well. And, and so he, knew, he was going to be there. But you know what? Even in his dying moment, he trusted in the faithfulness of God because he said, one day, this narrative is going to take a turn and go right back to where God said it was going to end and, and since the beginning. And my body is going to be with my fathers in the land of my fathers. 
And this was to be a reminder to the people of Israel that God always keeps his promises. Even when things don't seem like it, and even when, when life takes a turn in a direction that, that was unpredicted by, by the people, you say, it's okay. Why? Because we know the end of the story, and we know where it's going. And, and, and Joseph, even in his, in his closing breaths, his, his last breaths, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm giving you instructions for my bones because I believe a day is going to come when God is going to lead you out of Egypt and back to the land of Shechem. And I'm sure maybe at the time they were thinking, how are we going to get back to Shechem? I mean, I mean it's, it's a famine. The place is a desert now. I mean, we're not... Trust me. It's going to happen. And, and, and he also it gives an idea that he knew it wouldn't happen right away because he didn't say, take my body. He said, take my bones. Right? So he knew that it wasn't going to be uh, a, a near future type of thing. Now, was this level of faith a misguided faith? I mean, did, did he misplace his faith by trusting that God would do that? I mean, he was ready to die. I would su- suggest to you that, no, it was not a misplaced faith at all. In fact, if we read the story, in fact, let's fast forward through the story just a little bit. Remember, the, the children of Israel did depart Israel, right? They, because of the famine, they went to Egypt, and they lived there. And uh, because of Joseph's connections there, they were able to live there fairly peacefully. The Bible says very clear, at that point, they began to multiply. In fact, they multiplied so much that the, that the Pharaoh that came after the death of, of Joseph, that Pharaoh got to the point where he said, they're multiplying so fast, I don't think that we'll be able, they might overpower us. You know the story, right? And so the Pharaoh decides to try and 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 uh, and keep them down. So he, he puts them into uh, slavery, and then they start growing even more. And so then he starts killing the firstborns, and, and God raises up Moses, right? You know the story. God raises up Moses to bring his people back into the promised land. And, and you know how Moses presents the plagues to Egypt, and things go really sour for Egypt because of all of these plagues. And eventually they say, you can go. Eventually Pharaoh had enough, and he said, you can go. Um, and and he, he, you can, he leads the children out of Israel. That's when we come to Exodus chapter 13. So if you have one finger in Genesis, just go to the next, the next book, Exodus chapter, chapter 13, verse 19. This is what we read. It says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So Joseph received the problem, or received the problem, received the promise. He gave that promise. He, he, he made the people, his descendants, promise that they would carry his bones in faith that it was going to happen. And here we find the exodus happening. And Moses says, you know what? God is faithful. God promised he would take Joseph's remains back to the land of his fathers. So I'm going to do that. And so he took the bones of Joseph with him at that point. And, uh, and we, we see that, that happening. Now let's fast forward again, because you guys know the story from there. Did the Israelites go directly to the promised land? No, they didn't. They, they get there, and, and really, the bones of Joseph that were physically before them should have been enough of a reminder that, you know what, the God who makes promises always keeps his promises. It should have been enough uh, for them to say, let's go into the promised land. But they go into the promised land, ah, oh, there are giants here. 
uh, so we can't do this. We can't conquer the, the, the promised land. And so God says, okay, we're going to take a 40-year break again. <laughs> you know, this is, it's a turn, turn of events. And as we see the, the generation of the time of Moses pass away, we see God raising up a generation in faith during the time of Joshua. And, we, and hopefully we know the story of Joshua, right? Because I preached through it, so... As long as you didn't sleep through that, you know the story of Joshua. And, uh, and so we see Joshua comes in, and in spite of the fact that there were giants, the, the giants were still there, the, the city walls were there, the great armies were still there, but we see God give them victory after victory after victory. Amen? And we see God bringing them back, and then when we come to the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, and we read this. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar, the, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And so we find at the end of the story, Joseph's remains were buried with his fathers. Now we know that it's just Joseph's body. But see, this is a symbol. It was to be a symbol to all of Israel. That God who makes promises always keeps his promises. Amen? And we, we see this, this faithfulness of God and that God always keeps his word. And you know, Joseph believed it from the beginning. Let's look back at Hebrews 11, 12, uh, 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. In other words, even though there was a departure from what may have been his idea of plan A... There was a departure from that plan, but it was never a departure from God's plan A. And so even when it seemed like a departure from human uh, perspective, he gave instruction concerning his bones. What does that mean? He believed that God was going to keep that promise anyway, even if that promise wasn't kept during his lifetime. Can can we begin to grasp what what this level of faith is? What's the point then, right? What's the the point of this? Uh, Here's the point of this patriarchal narrative as, as... retold by the writer of Hebrews. Number one, uh, number one, God is eternal. His plans are intergenerational. And we, and we have to begin to, 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 instead of just looking at this little sliver of our life, begin to look at the big picture. And when we do, we see that God is this eternal being. Uh, his plans are intergenerational. Uh, Psalm 145 says this, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Uh, that's very different than us, right? We, we, we live for a generation, and, and, we, and we go on. But, but God it lives throughout all of the generations, um, according to what we read. Psalm 119, verse 90 says, says this, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth, and it abides. And we see the faithfulness of God that goes throughout generations. We have to zoom out a little bit to understand the very nature of God. God is eternal. And, and, uh, and, and we tend to see this little sliver of our own life, maybe even, the own, even smaller than that, the little slivers of what's going on right now in our lives. And, and oftentimes, because we only see that, we throw our hands up in the air and we, and we give up on the faithfulness of God. And what I think 
the writer of Hebrews is telling us through the example of the patriarchs is in those moments when, when we can't see the faithfulness of God, what we need is zoom out a little bit. Look at the timeline and recognize that, that God has an all-encompassing plan that began long before you were born, and it will continue long after you die, unless the rapture comes and, and we're taken home. Uh, that God has this all-encompassing plan, and you're a part of that. You know, I think sometimes we look at life, our, our life on earth, our earthly life, I think we look at it like a sitcom. You know, you know, what, I, you know what I mean? The sitcoms. Uh, sorry, that's a hard word to translate, isn't it? Um, but we look, at, we look at our lives as a sitcom where, where the, the friction of the story has to come in and somehow by the end of that, every 30-minute episode, we have to have all the ends tied up loosely in a, you know, in, 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 into a nice, tidy conclusion, right? I mean, I, I grew up on the Brady Bunch. That probably dates me. But every episode, pretty much, you know, everything's great at the beginning, everything's great at the end, and there's some kind of conflict in the middle, right? It's a, it's a formulaic type of, of sitcom. I think many of us think our life has to be that way, where, where God is, is creating the story of my life, and, and he's going to bring it to some kind of... And, and I don't think that the life, according to Scripture, is like that, to where, where our life is about us, in a sitcom, that by the end of our life, I don't think that's the way, that's not the picture I get uh, from this. In fact, um, what I get is that God is eternal. His plans are intergenerational. God is eternal, and number two, we are not. We're not eternal. Our earthly life lasts for one generation. Now, there is a sense in which God has allowed us to participate in and to live for eternity future, but even then, we, we have not lived for et- uh, eternity past, right? So uh, God allows that. But when we look at our earthly life, the life that we're living right now, we have to realize there was a beginning to it and there will be an end to it. Amen? And we're, we're not eternal. And, and uh, in fact, uh, Psalm 39, 5 says this, Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best, at his best state, is but a vapor. A vapor. That's how he describes his life. Why? Because there's a beginning and an end. It's a poof. There we are. Oh, there we go. It's like trying to show someone a, a, the, a falling star. Like, hey, look, a falling star. By the time everyone looks, it's gone. We're here, we're gone. And he said, that's how you've created life. Why? Because when the psalmist said this, he's getting a grasp of the big picture of God, this intergenerational God whose plans go from long before us and long after us. Wow. And he understands God. And all of a sudden, he begins to see the, the smallness of his own, of his own life. Uh, I think that's also the point that, uh, that James was getting at in James chapter 4. When he said this, he said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. You know, we, we walk around with, in this arrogance thinking that we can make the plans of our own life, right? Verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little, while, a little time and then vanishes away. We make all these assumptions as if life is really a story that we're, we're the masters of our own destiny. And James is saying, no, you don't get it. 
You're looking at the small details. Sometimes we look at the small details and think, wow, this is great. I love life. I'm, I'm the master of the universe. Other times we're in hard times and we say, you know, boy, how can God be faithful? But it's because we're only looking at this little sliver of our life. He goes on to say, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We should recognize, we should recognize that we can only make plans if it's part of God's plan. Does that make sense? We, we, we have to keep that humble uh, understanding. Says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And, and this, is, this is boasting of just saying, I, I'm going to create my own. This is going to be the story of my life. Guess what? We're, we're parts of the story, but we're not the author. Right? We're parts of, the, of a story, but we are not the author of this story. And so here's the conclusion that I come to by looking at, at, at them. Uh, number one, or this is what we find, that the patriarchs understood that their lives were not a story about them. But rather, their lives were really just a chapter in the story about God's faithfulness. Do you see that in their lives? And all of them, all of them. It talks about them in their last days. Here, when it, when it came to, the, to their hope, they couldn't... They couldn't have hope in their earthly life because they were in their last days. But they still had hope in those times. Why? Because they saw a much bigger picture. And they saw that the same God who has, has been faithful for all of these years in the past. As Jacob, I like the way Jacob put it, who has fed me every day up until now. That's the same God who has a plan that's going to continue long beyond my life as well. To finish with a thought here, how does this change the way we live our lives? Two, two applications here. Number one, we don't live in arrogance. We don't live in arrogance, thinking that we're the masters of the universe, deceiving ourselves into thinking that our big plans uh, are, are going to develop in such a way that we will ultimately lift up ourselves in the, way, in the story of our lives. You know, as, as James puts it, if the Lord wills is something we would say frequently. You know, this is a healthy dose of humility, isn't it? To recognize that it's not all about us and it's not all about this little sliver of a life that we live. Number two, we will not live in fear either. Why? We can live boldly. We can live confidently. And we are not shaken by the things that are going on around us in the moment. Why? Because we recognize that that is just a little sliver of the story. I mean, all of these patriarchs could have despaired, except they saw that the same promise that God had given already was going to be passed on, and it was going to go on, and it was going to go on. You know, for us, there is no reason ever to despair, really. We do, don't we? But we never have a reason to despair. Why? Because we know how the story goes. We know how the story ends. And, and somehow, maybe, maybe it's not going to be like this big story of our life so that God can lift us up and say, wow, there's the story of David. And that's not what it's going to be. It's how God used David as fallible as, he, as, as I am, and how God used each one of you, how God, to, to create this narrative, this story that reflects the faithfulness of an almighty God with an intergenerational plan. In that case, no matter what happens to us, we can stand and be bold 
and we can be confident. You know, I just wanted to share an, an example, a couple examples. Martin Luther, right, who died for his faith. These are the last recorded words. He, he prayed and said, My heavenly Father, eternal and merciful God, thou hast manifested unto me thy dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I have taught him, I have known him, I, I love him as my life, my health, and my redemption, whom the wicked have persecuted, maligned, and with injury afflicted. Draw my soul to thee. What last words. Here in the moments of his death, what is he saying? God's eternal. And I'm not so much worried about what's going to happen to me right now. In fact, here's, here's, uh, here's one that, that, that really impacted me when I read it. This is from Ignatius of Antioch as he was being put to death for his faith. This is his closing words. He wrote this, May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me. Think about that. He knows he's going to die, to die by wild animals. And he say, says this, May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me. I pray that they would be, fo- uh, uh, be found eager to rush at me, and I will also entice them to devour me speedily and not deal with me as some who out of fear they have not touched. If they are unwilling to assail me, I will compel them to do so. Pardon me, I know what is to my benefit. Now I begin to be a disciple. Let no one of things visible or invisible prevent me from attaining to Jesus Christ. Let fire and the cross, let wild beasts, let tearings, breakings, and dislocation of bones, let cutting off of limbs, let shattering of the whole body, and let all the evil torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me attain to Jesus Christ. How can a person who is about to be killed to lose everything he has known as an earthly life, how can he stand there and and say that without fear? It's because he wasn't looking at just the moment. He wasn't just looking at, at the faithfulness of God in that moment. He was saying, I know the big picture. I know the big picture. God has always been faithful. In generations past, long before I I was born, and long after I am dead, he will be faithful. And that gave him the courage to live a life without fear. I'll tell you, you you can choose arrogance. You can choose uh, arrogance over humility if you want. But you will live in fear when you fail, because you will fail. You're human beings. There's not a single person that can live forever, right? Your body will fail you. But yet... If we choose this life of humility and we understand and we're willing to let our our life be a chapter in God's story of faithfulness instead of making a life be a story about me, then we can live without fear and we can share in the glory of God. I'll tell you, there's no, to me, there's no choice in that. There's no choice. What can the world offer me? And for how long can it offer me that? And they compare that to what God offers us for eternity. Is there any choice to that? There's no choice the way I see it. By way of invitation, I just want to share a couple of closing thoughts. There might be some today that you're just seeking. Maybe, maybe you, you've never come to that point where you've accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And, and for you, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, would you like to be a part of that story? 
the story of God's faithfulness? God will be faithful to keep his promise. Faithful to his promise to punish sin and faithful to his promise to reward the repentant. And you are going to be a testimony of the faithfulness of God for eternity, one way or the other. And so I would encourage you, if, if, if you have, have never come to a point in your life where you know for sure you've accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then right now is that time. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Come forward, come talk to me, or you can go to the back either way. We have men and women. They have a lanyard that says, ask me. Go, go, go directly to one of them, and they can show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And what that means is your story will now become a chapter in God's story of his own faithfulness. I'd also want to say to, to believers, um, are you living, I'm going to ask you two questions. To those who are believers, you know for sure you're saved already, but I want to ask you two questions. Number one, are you living in arrogance? Thinking that life is about you? thinking that because things are going well in your life that you've created this little narrative about what your life is going to be like. And, or are you living in fear? Feeling like the world around me is falling apart. Maybe things, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe things in the family are going, going in, in, a, in a bad direction. Maybe, maybe health issues are coming up. Or maybe the weight of whatever's going on in your life has just got you down. I'm living in fear. And you're starting to feel like, can God really be faithful? And I'm, and I'm telling you, zoom out and realize, hey, God is going to use your life for his glory. And maybe, maybe that means you'll live long enough for the rapture. If not, it means at some point, even your death, he is going to use for his glory. And here we have three examples of men who gave glory to God on their deathbeds. Because their hope wasn't in this life, and their hope was in the future. If that's you today, I would just ask you to, to recommit to the Lord and say, Lord, I give you my life. Not just in the sense of accepting salvation, but I give you my life in the sense that I don't want my life to be a story about me. I want my life to be a chapter in the story about you and your faithfulness. And if that's the decision you'd like to make today, I'll ask you to come forward and just pray to the Lord. I won't bother you there. I'll let you pray on your own from there. But just to commit your life back to the Lord and say, Lord, may my life be a story of your faithfulness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word every, every time I get into it because of the way it changes, the way I think, the way I live. And Lord, the, this has been no exception for me. And so Lord, I pray today that we would all walk out of here without arrogance, without fear, so we can live boldly the Christian life that you've called us to live and even to die the death that you have planned for us whenever that day is. And may we accept it in complete trust. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.